Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,676. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 31. This is the word of God. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to his people. I want to do sort of a word association game. When you hear the word comforter, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? The word comforter. I think about the big heavy blanket you put on your bed, right? The comforter. Some translations render the Greek word here in this passage, parakletos, as counselor, advocate, helper, and yes, comforter. Back in the day of Elizabethan English, the verb to comfort came from the Latin comforte, which means to strengthen or with strength. To give succor to, to encourage, to aid. I find it's quite a fine word to describe the work of the Spirit in our lives. To strengthen, to come alongside, to encourage, to aid. But D.A. Carson in his commentary on the book of John says, In today's ears, comforter sounds either like a quilt or like a do-gooder at a wake or a funeral. And for most speakers of English, should be abandoned. Okay, D.A. Carson. Well, it's my hope this morning 
that by the end of the sermon, you'll think of more than the big heavy blanket, the really nice one that makes you all warm and cozy in bed, when you hear the word comforter. It's my hope that you'll think of Christ, our Savior, and what he's done for us in order that we may have the comfort of the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us strength, who aids us. And that's our theme this morning. Christ comforts us by giving us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor. And we're going to look at this passage in three ways. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit covers verses 15 through 17, the presence of the Spirit, verses 18 through 24, and the purpose of the Spirit, verses 25 through 31. So let's look here at this first point, the promise of the Spirit, verses 15 through 17. In the beginning of this passage, Jesus says these words, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now before we can really grasp or understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to remember what has already been spoken to us. Earlier in this passage called the farewell discourse of Jesus Christ. He's speaking to his disciples prior to his going to the crucifixion. These are his last words to his disciples. It's sort of an ongoing teaching of all the things that he wants his disciples to grasp, to understand, to know before he, quote unquote, leaves them for a time, right? Well, as Jesus is comforting his disciples, he tells them that there's a new command that he gives them, right? Right? And what is this new command? This new command is that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And we talked about this command, didn't we? And we talked about how the newness of the command comes in the revelation of who God is and how he is expressing love to the world and to his people in Jesus Christ. And we said that this love is not something that we procure out of our own effort inside of ourselves, but it is a love that is given to us in Christ. And so when we read these words, in verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus is not saying here that you're loving me You are obeying me out of your own strength, out of your own effort. It's how you really love me. No, he's saying that when we live in the newness of the life that we've been given in Christ, the expression of loving him is seen in our gratitude of obeying his commands. That's our responsibility to Jesus, right? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. We must consider the words of 1 John where he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Well, we're going to learn more about why they're not burdensome as we continue in this passage. So we can't look at verse 15 in isolation, can we? We have to go on to verses 16 and 17 that describe for us the way in which we are going to have the ability 
how we're going to be provided for so that we can love Jesus by obeying his commands. And that's why verses 16 and 17 talk about Jesus' provision for us. Verse 16, the first part, he says, And I will ask the Father. Here we're already looking at the heavenly intercession of Christ. Christ, we're told, is going to go and ascend to the Father. And when he sits at the right hand of the Father, he's going to say, Can we send the Spirit upon our people? And pour out the Spirit. And the Father and the Son are going to pour out the Spirit on God's people. But there's also described here the earthly ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? The Father will give you a comforter, a counselor, to be with you forever. There are five things that the Holy Spirit does in His earthly ministry for God's people. As an expression of Jesus' provision for us. And that is, he discloses God's love. He dwells with believers. He directs into the truth. He divides the world. He defends the church. Look at this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. This is an expression of God's love. He dwells with believers to be with you forever. He directs into the truth. The spirit of truth, that is, the spirit cannot deceive us. He divides the world. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. The spirit coming into this world is one that brings division because the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, cannot be accepted by the world. And finally, he defends the church. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit within us, within the church of God together, is a defense of the church and providing direction, discernment, truth. So we have our responsibility to Jesus, right? If you love me, you will obey what I command. But we also have Jesus' provision for us. And that is the Holy Spirit given to us to be our comforter with strength, to give us aid, to be our helper, to be our counselor as we walk out the, the life of a Christian, the life of living for Christ. That's the promise of the Spirit. Let's look at the presence of the Spirit described for us in verses 18 through 24. Christ gives these comforting words to the disciples. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The promise is I will not leave you as orphans. The fulfillment is I will come to you. This is an expression that brings to mind all the Old Testament imagery of a God who is the one for the widow and the orphan, right? Those who are helpless. And Christ is saying that you, as my disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without guidance, without a support system, without a helper, without a comforter. And these words are for us this morning, are they? Are they not? 
Christ has promises to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we're told that there is a helper, there is a comforter for the disciples. We're told that the disciples are not left alone. We're told that all believers have this helper, have this comforter. And we're told that all believers will see Jesus on that day. Verse 19 says, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Christ here is describing to his disciples that he is about to go away, as he's been talking about before. But this is a, a going away that is a provision of life. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He's talking about on the day in which Christ, upon ascending to sit at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, pours out the Holy Spirit, that they will have this recognition of God as triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because the third person of the Holy Trinity is going to be dwelling within them. And as the opening of the letter of 1 John describes that we have communion with the Father and the Son because of the Holy Spirit, that we are united to the triune God because of the gift of the Comforter with strength. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. That we have communion, union with them through the Holy Spirit. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Christ is going to repeat this theme about obeying the commands. He's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is a beginning to describe the new life that we are going to have as those who have the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a helper, a comforter, that you are not going to be left alone. Have you ever wondered why Jesus can say at the end of the Great Commission, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, and then leave? Because by his spirit, he is with us. He is with us in this very moment. The presence of the spirit is the presence of almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this new life, verse 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. This new life is described here. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me. When will this new life be ours? That day, the day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. How is this new life going to come to us? Verse 21 describes this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Christ here is saying obedience is the evidence of love for Christ. That when we obey Christ and his commands, it is only because we love Christ. 
This is a conversation that we have with our children, is it not? When I ask you to do something and you don't do it, you're saying something about me, aren't you? But when I ask you to do something and you do it, it's showing that you love me. Or maybe even a better way to describe this is if a parent asks a child to do something and they do it, that shows that they respect their parent. But if a parent does not ask a child to do something but knows it's something that should be done and does it without having to be asked, that is love. And that's what Christ here is describing. That we who know Christ's commands and obey them do so because we love Christ. Not because we're trying to earn anything from Christ. This new life comes to us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pours the love of Christ into us so that that love of Christ can pour out of us in grateful obedience to Christ. And Christ tells us that he who loves me is loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. This new life is life that results in love to Jesus. And this love to Jesus is an expression of love to the Father. And Jesus says, those of us who love the Father, he too also will love. And he promises that he will reveal himself to us. Once again, we look at the interconnection between John's gospel and his other writings in 1 John. He describes this vision of Christ and he says, right now, Things aren't as they should be. But on that day, we will see Christ. And because we see Christ, we will be transformed. And Judas Iscariot, I think, honestly, I find verse 22 sort of humorous. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Don't confuse this Judas with the other Judas How would you like to have a name that from now on, whoever is named that has to be described as not that person? It's like nowadays when you go around and you see that someone's named Jezebel or Delilah. It's a a biblical name. And you're like, I think you need to read the Bible, not just grab names from the Bible. Well, I don't see very, very many Judases. These days. Right here in verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asks the question, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? In the context, the question could be presented like this Why do we get this new life, this new life in the Spirit? And they don't. Why do we get this new life and they don't? And the answer, the answer that Christ gives is one that, once again, I find interesting. There are other ways that Christ has answered this question other places in the Gospels. He has, just, he's, uh, 
he's described that God, it is my joy to reveal you to those whom I have pleasure in revealing you to. He's answered this by saying, to the others, I speak in parables, but to you, I speak forthrightly because to them these things are hidden so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. So a, uh, an expression of judgment is shown in Christ's purposeful revelation to his disciples and not to the world, right? And the world here is not the same, con- it's not, not the same use as John's earlier use when he said in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world here is, is all the world in bondage to sin. Okay? The world in John three sixteen is all the world. Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replies, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching." My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He describes this contrast, doesn't he, between those who love him and those who do not love him. Verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So why do some get this life and others don't? Gospel grace is given to all whom the Lord chooses to give it to. And the evidence of this gospel grace given to us is in our loving Christ and obeying his teaching. And this loving Christ and obeying his teaching is only is only done, is only capable of us. We're only enabled to do so when the Father and the Christ come to us and make their home with us, in us, in the Holy Spirit. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is one that brings us alive to the love of Christ and brings us alive to a desire and an ability to obey His commands. We need to be careful when we read this passage not to see that loving Christ is the exchange. If we love Christ, then we'll get gospel grace. Then, if we love Christ, then the Father will love me. If we love Christ, then the Father and the Son will come and make their home within us. No. By the Spirit, the Father and the Son make their home within us, and that is how we come to love Christ. We come to obey his commands. The problem of unbelief is there, isn't it? He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The evidence of unbelief is an inability and a lack of desire 
to in love obey the commandments of Christ. So it could be said, why do some get this life and others don't? Because God in his holy wisdom has decreed it so. And the Holy Spirit and all of his going about as the wind. We can't see it. We don't know where it goes or what it's doing. But he, the Holy Spirit, makes alive those whom God has predestined to come alive. Therefore we are called to pray for all that they may come to see the love of Christ. That they may come to understand by their love for Christ a desire and an ability to obey the commandments of Christ. that they may by the Holy Spirit be given the grace to obey the very first commands of Christ, which is repent and believe the gospel. The presence of the Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, He is the one going around making this work possible. And we should pray. Pray that the Spirit would make alive those who are dead and their sins and trespasses just as we were. What about the purpose of the Spirit? These final verses, Jesus describes a few things here. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than me. Here we have a Trinitarian description of three personal encouragements that come from the purpose of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, right? The first is that truth comes through the Holy Spirit. Verses 25 through 26 describes this. Christ is saying, I'm going to leave you. He might be describing here in this moment a leaving that is coming and the betrayal that he's going to experience and the crucifixion and his death. But he's also probably here describing the the leaving he's going to do when he ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. But then he says, but the counselor, the comforter, the one who's going to give you strength, encouragement, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So truth of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come into our lives to remind us, to bring to our minds what Christ has taught us, what Christ has brought to us, what Christ has said to us in his word. So the Holy Spirit does for us, did for the disciples back then, and does for us today. It reminds us of the word of Christ. But there's also peace from the Son of God that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Verse 27, these comforting words, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. On the eve of his betrayal, Christ is blessing the disciples. Peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. But he's saying that this peace is a quantitatively different than the kind of peace the world gives. And this is what I want you to understand as we approach the time of Thanksgiving, as the time of the Christmas season, that there is a Christmas spirit in the air, is there not? I'm one of those people that, yes, doesn't mind listening to Christmas music and putting Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving. But there's another side to the holiday season that can be off-putting if we're not careful. And that is that there is a sort of brotherly love and care in the air. It's sort of a magical time, isn't it? Where all things seem to be lighter and better and more peaceful for some of us. I'm not talking about you Scrooges. But then when that time goes, when the, the, the holiday season is over and it's January and nothing important or interesting is going on and it's still snowing outside, we have this sort of empty feeling, don't we? And that's because if we examine ourselves, we might realize that what we were experiencing during the holiday season is the kind of peace that the world gives, not that Christ gives. The peace that Paul describes that's beyond all understanding. The peace that Christ blessed his disciples with on the eve of his betrayal. He said, peace I give you, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives And this is the core difference between the kind of peace that the world gives and the kind of peace that Christ gives. The kind of peace that the world gives is fleeting. It does not last. The kind of peace that the world gives is like the interesting and exciting feeling that you get when you get something new on Christmas and then two weeks later your kids aren't playing with it anymore. The kind of peace that Christ gives is abiding. It stays. It lasts. It does not go empty. May that be an encouragement to you all as we approach the holiday season, as we enjoy times of fellowship and warmth and We enjoy, yes, even the magic of the season that you strive to place your peace in the Prince of Peace so that when this holiday season comes and goes and Christmas is over and New Year's has come and gone, that you would not experience that empty feeling. But know that the peace that you had this season is the peace that you have in every season because it abides, it stays. It's the peace that Christ gives. And it lasts. There's also joy in the Father. Christ here describes the words that he said to them. He said, I've told you I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. 
But he says that this is a good thing. Just in the same way that Christ says, you should be glad that I'm going away because my going away is going to enable you, empower you by the gifting of the Holy Spirit that you may do greater things even than me. Now Christ flips the argument to this. He says, you should be glad that I'm going away to the Father because the Father is greater than I. What here Christ is describing is not a priority of persons, that somehow in the Holy Trinity that the Father is always greater than the Son for everything that the Father is, the Son is also everything the Son is, the Spirit is also everything the Spirit is, the Father and Son are. It's a confusing doctrine, I get it, but that's the truth. There is equality in the Trinity. No, what Christ here is saying that in my humiliation, in my coming to take on the form of a man, in my putting on a human body, I have lowered myself. I am going to lower myself even to the point of death upon the cross, the death of a criminal. And what you need to understand, my disciples, is that it is good that I leave this humiliation, the state of humiliation, for the state of my exaltation, my glorification, to be with the Father, for the Father is greater than I. It's no different than what Paul says when he says, we are now in these earthly tents. And it's better for us to be rid of these earthly tents so that we can be with the Lord. But here, Jesus is saying, what you need to understand is that I am on the path towards my glorification. I am going to go through this humiliation so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That you, my disciples, should be glad that I go to be with the Father in my glorified state. And that is, we should have joy in the Father just as Christ has joy in the Father. We should desire to be in the presence of the Father just as Christ desired to leave his humiliation and be in the presence of the Father. We should desire our glorification just as Christ desired his glorification. Right now, we're in a state of humiliation in the life of a Christian. We're carrying our crosses through this life to Golgotha. But one day we will be in the twinkling of an eye at the trumpet call of the archangel transformed and experience the joy of the Father when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The purpose of the Spirit is to lead us and remind us of the truth of Christ's word, to place it upon our hearts, not simply in a book, but in our lives. Remember what the Old Testament said of writing the law on our hearts, the tablets of our hearts. The purpose of the Spirit is to bring us the abiding and lasting peace of Jesus Christ. 
And the purpose of the Spirit is to call us forward in this life to the joy of the presence of the Father that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth in our resurrection bodies. The concluding remarks that I can make come to us in the very end of this passage. Jesus says in verse 29, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe that these words were given to us that we may believe. John says this is the purpose of his writing his gospel. He's saying this to his disciples so that his disciples would know that Christ is the prophet, the one who speaks the truth, the very word of God. But he says it to us this morning. Christ speaks through his word this morning, through me to you, and say that these words of encouragement are to you that you may believe, that you may trust, that you may know. And I pray that you do. I pray if you do not, that you would come to believe. I pray that if you do, that you would be strengthened in your faith. But we're also told, in verse 30, Christ says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. This is an encouragement to us, because we know that on the eve of Christ's betrayal, Satan believed he would triumph. He would overcome Christ. But in Satan's very plot to overcome Christ, Christ defeated him. And because Christ has defeated the prince of the world in his death, burial, and resurrection, we confess in Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism that Christ has freed us from the tyranny of the devil. And do you believe that? That you are no longer now under the reign of sin, but by the Spirit given to you, you can overcome. And lastly, verse 31, we're told that this is all that the world would learn, that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the betrayal of him into the hands of evil men so that he would be crucified on a criminal's tree, is all that the world may know. The world may know who God is in Jesus Christ. Do you? Do you know? Do you know not only that Christ loved the Father and did exactly what his Father commanded him, but that he did so on your behalf for your sake that you may know the love of God I pray you do we looked at this morning how Christ comforts us by giving us the comforter the Holy Spirit. And I hope as we look at this passage, you saw that the, the, the purpose of the Spirit in our lives is so much more than a heavy blanket we put on our beds. 
It's not simply, he's not dwelling within us simply to console us. Although that is part of his purpose. He is also there to strengthen us, to encourage us, to convict us, to carry us on in the life of Christ, to give us empowerment that we may obey the commands of Christ and by doing so express our love to Christ. May you know the comfort of the comforter. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. May we know the comfort of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. May he teach us all the things and remind us of everything that Jesus Christ has spoken to us. May he give to us the peace of Christ. May he give to us the joy of you, Father. May he empower us to live according to your commandments. May he enlighten us as to the love you have for us, displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may we know, Lord, that it's nothing in us that makes us worthy of this new life, but simply in love you have called us. May, by you, may you, by your Spirit, draw us, hold us, keep us to that day. The last day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.